And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, we got some games lined up. Not only do we have games, we have some TV times, and it just feels like we're a lot closer to the start of the college football season, hopefully a normal one. Uh, We're going to get into a lot of the games that you and I are most excited about from the early part of the season uh, before we get into the specifics of that, is there one particular that you're just giddy about? Well, I'm giddy about the whole, I'm, I'm giddy about all of it, right? Like, we didn't get these marquee non-conference games last year. Most of the conferences went to conference only, and then the one, the two that didn't, those weren't necessarily, I mean, obviously, we still talk about that Iowa State-Louisiana game, but, you know, those weren't, you know, there's, there's, we can point to 10 games opening weekend, right. That are, that are better than anything we had last year. And, um, I always enjoy this time of year when the kickoff times start coming out, just makes it feel more real. Um, we have one obvious headliner, Clemson, Georgia. I mean, I think that one overshadows the other, well, that's not the right way to put it. That one's the main event, but I feel like there's a lot of, it's not like it's that and then nothing. I mean, there's a lot of great games starting Thursday night and going through Monday night. Yeah, all right. So before we go to the to starting in September, I don't know if you call it week zero, the late August, there's, I think, five games featuring FBS teams. The, the one that is most attractive one, I would say, is Nebraska at Illinois. Uh, Brett Bielema's return to the Big Ten. But let's go through, and I'm going to rattle off a bunch of games. And what I think we should do is... You, we'll use a little recruiting star system rated on a one to five star, obviously five being the highest, of how intrigued you are. I'm not saying it has to be the most important to the national title picture or anything like that. Just what attracts you. And we're not going to go name every game, but let's start with uh, Thursday night. Ohio State visits PJ Flex Minnesota team. Rate it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a three-star game. Um, a year ago, it would have been four-star, but obviously Minnesota, the, the, the buzz wore off a little bit last year. But it is going to be our first glimpse at whoever Ohio State's new starting quarterback is. Um, so I'll go three-star. What do you go? I'm going to go four-star. Just from talking to some of the coaches at Minnesota, they feel like they're going to be a lot better this year on defense. Tanner Morgan's still there. And like you said, I'm very interested to see Ohio State – uh, what happens with their quarterback situation. So for me, that's a four-star game. Um, okay, I'm going to throw at you the game you, you always throw at me. Give me the percentage chance the Gophers pull that upset. 12. Yeah, I was going to say 10. Okay. 
So I'm optimistic then. Uh, okay, next up for me, um, we're going to go to the Friday night slate. Mac Brown and North Carolina go to Virginia Tech. It's a nice Friday night game. Uh, what do you got for it? Yeah, that's a four-star for me um, because uh, there's a lot of there's just a lot of curiosity around UNC uh, and Mac Brown and what's what's this going to turn into? Is this going to be the year where they you know they went to the Orange Bowl last year? Are they going to I don't know, are they going to contend for the ACC title? Or are they going to be a top 10 type team? Or are they going to fall backward a little bit? Virginia Tech has struggled the last few seasons, so it's not like they're the draw here, UNC is. But um, Sam Howell, you know, obviously people are talking about a possible number one pick next year. So so that's a really good one. Uh, I'm going to go and flip it to you. I'm going to be on the three-star side, not because of anything you just said. It's, it's at Lane Stadium. I don't have much of a read on Virginia Tech at this point. You know, I feel like Justin Fuente's tenure there has been shaky and I'm not, you know, again, they're one of those programs where I feel like when you take when you don't expect a lot is when they kind of have a good year and when you start to ride on them, then all of a sudden they 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 backslide, but I don't know. That one doesn't Fuente, get me as excited. Fuente, what do you do you consider him like one of the five hottest seats, 10 hottest seats? Am I, is he not on the hot seat? Where do you go with that? You know, if he goes six and six or something like that, or five and seven, yeah, I would think his seat would be warm. I don't know if it would be the hottest seat. You know, there was a time where people were wondering if Whit Babcock, the AD, was going to pull the plug on that. It was it was a really weird, it's been a really weird two years in a row. Um, I don't know. I, I'm Again, and I, I'm not writing them off because he did a, an excellent job at Memphis, but... I don't know where, you know, is the program, which direction is it going in right now? It's been impossible to keep track of who their quarterback is, not just from year to year, but from, in, you know, um, from, from like, how many different quarterbacks have they gone? Who, where have they, oh, this guy's the next great one to, oh, he transferred. Yeah, I mean, Hendon Hooker has ability now. We'll see if he's the Tennessee quarterback. But, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of guys who've cycled in and cycled out of there. And so I don't know what to make of them. Um, well, look, given the hype around UNC, if they could win that game in Blacksburg on, on Friday night in front of, I assume, a full stadium, enter Sandman, and all that good stuff, like that would certainly buy him a lot of goodwill. Yes. Uh, next for me. Big Ten game, Indiana at Iowa. So what's your order here that you're going with on, on Saturday, September 4th? Because we only know the kickoff times for Clemson, Georgia, which is going to be prime time, and Alabama, Miami, which is going to be 3.30. Yeah, we know a few more kickoff times that we cannot share on this podcast, let's say. Okay. That, so. I mean, I can take I, – I, there's, you know – well, we'll, well, when we get to the game, so I'll give you my best guess, right? Okay. Guess the kickoff time. But, okay. Okay, Indiana, Iowa – um that's a four star for me um i I gotta be honest i don't know that i'm gonna say five star for anything with clemson georgia um and that's not to say i'm not interested in all these games but well i'll revisit that when we get to one game in particular but indian i was a four star obviously a lot of um you know we're all we're all curious to see if tom allen and the hoosiers pick up where they left off last year hopefully michael Penix is back and healthy I think Iowa could be really good. I think Iowa was really good. At, you know, they started 0-2 last year, and then they won out, and I think they were probably um, 
I mean, they were probably, they might have been, Indiana was the, the higher ranked team. Northwestern obviously went to the Big Ten title game. But I'm guessing by the end of the season last year, Iowa was as good or better than those teams. So um, you know, it's kind of a 50-50 game. What do you think? I Everything you said, I agree with. I am very curious to see. Indiana's added some transfers at some key spots. Just got Stephen Carr from USC. We'll see if he uh, can take it to the next level. I think one of the under-the-radar best hires of the offseason was Dylan McCullough. Um, coming back to college football as a running backs coach now at Indiana, um, he was a he's he has some sons who are really talented players who are now going to go there. But also, I think this is a pretty talented running back, and they have a couple guys now who are, who can make you miss. Or I think a little more dynamic than what they had there. Penix Jr. from what I heard is is ahead of schedule in terms of his recovery um, from from the injury and. The one part that is very intriguing to me is, you know, they did a really good job of designing and scheming to get pressure. I don't know if they'll be able to do that as much. New defensive coordinator. We'll see how Charlton Warren does uh, with that. I don't know if they have any difference makers on the D-line, but like... I'm really excited about this game because I think Iowa's really good. We know Tyler Goodson's a really good running back. We'll see if Petrus, um, assuming he's still the guy, which I think he is, um, if he can take another step as a quarterback. Um, I wouldn't. It's hard for me to rate this game a five-star game, but it's like it's one I'm very, very interested in. Indiana had a great season last year. But it was also, you know, for all of these teams in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, too, were kind of incomplete seasons. And people forget, like, once Penix went out, their offense kind of ground to a stop. And, and Ole Miss, who was not exactly a defensive stalwart last year, held them down in the bowl game. So, I don't know. If they if they had gone on to play a, the rest of their – if they gone on to play a full season, I don't think they would have been, finished as a top-10 team. I don't know if they would have been 15th, 20th, or whatever, but, you know, that's why I'm, I'm, this is a good measuring stick game to see, like, okay, are they gonna, are they gonna prove the last year wasn't, that there wasn't fluky? And by the way, on the eve of the season last year, as, as good as they were defensively, their best defensive player, Marcelino Ball, uh, got injured and missed the whole season. Mm -hmm. He's back, so, um, he's gonna help a lot. Uh, staying in the. Remember when Dave Revson was on our podcast? in the preseason last year and we were talking about India and Indiana came up and he was like, you know, this, this seems obvious now, but at the time he was like, if Indiana and Michigan switched uniforms, I, I think people would just assume Indiana's better. And that turned out to be absolutely the case. Yeah. Uh, staying- I'm going to tee you up on one of these. Games, okay. Okay. Yep. Alabama versus Miami in Atlanta. Uh, I'm going to say that is a five star game. You have the defending national champs. You have Miami with, we think, um, De'Ara King will be ready to go. Everything I've heard is he's ready to go. Uh, I don't know if Miami has that difference maker they've had in their front seven that they've had the last few years. You know, But I think this is, this is the deepest Miami offensive line they've had in a long time, which honestly isn't saying that much because it's been really underwhelming. But they have really good receivers. They've added some good transfers. I, I think Alabama is going to win this game. I don't think Alabama is going to win this game the way Alabama like beat USC like five years ago. It was like fifty-two to six. I think this. I think Miami can be competitive with them. What I'm curious about is 
Miami played Clemson last year when they were, you know, riding, you know, in a good direction and they didn't really compete with them. I want to see if Miami can compete with them. Like this is a good testing ground to see how far off Miami is. Five-star game for me. This is the one where I said earlier, like I thought, oh, I'm not going to say five-star for anything but Clemson, Georgia. And then I thought, well, Alabama, Miami. I mean, I'm high on Miami. I think they could be a top 10 team. Where did you rank them up? Uh, I want to say right outside the top 10. No, maybe they were in the top 10. But that being said, what gives me pause is like, Alabama plays in these neutral site games every year, and they always kill the team that they're playing. I'm looking just at the one in Atlanta that they've played in over the years. They beat, in the very first one, they beat Clemson 34-10. The next year, they beat Virginia Tech 34-24. In 2013, they beat Virginia Tech 35-10. In 2014, they beat West Virginia 33-23. There was the famous Florida State one versus three game. That was 24-7. And then poor Duke in 2019, 42 to three. Like I just, it, I'm high on Miami, but I can't see them. I, I think this ends up being a blowout. Okay, well that will be one. Two. So for that reason, I'm going four stars. Okay, uh, I'm going to pivot back to the Big Ten and your alma mater, Michigan State at Northwestern. Gosh, I didn't even include that in my tweet yesterday about the games that weekend. Ah, uh, shoot. I got to say, I don't need to be a downer, but to me that's like a two-star game because Michigan State was not very good last year. They did beat Northwestern. And Northwestern is replacing almost everybody. Like I don't think they're going to be a, a anywhere near where they were last year. Okay, I will go three-star game. In, Michigan State has taken in a ton of transfers. They have a good running back from Wake Forest. they got to get better at the quarterback position. Um you know, I'm intrigued. I'm not like, you know, this wouldn't be one of my top five games, but I definitely want to watch. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Penn State at Wisconsin. Five stars. 
Wow, you went five star on this. You didn't go five star on Alabama Miami, huh? Because I think again, I think Alabama Miami will be lopsided. I think Penn State Wisconsin. I don't know who's going to win that game. I think it's it's a. I mean, first of all, the Big Ten never used to have these games, these kind of games in Week One. This is a new thing this year where they're putting some significant conference games Week One, and and I mean, I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin is a is the co-favored, I guess, with Iowa. Maybe maybe a slightly more favored in that division. Graham Mertz, you know, I think a fully healthy Graham Mertz with a, a full stable of receivers is going to be really good. Um, and Penn State, we've talked about at length on here. Like, we think that last year was an aberration, weird COVID circumstances. Um, the Journey Brown uh, injury yep. and illness or medical I mean, this, situation. This could end up being a really good game. I'm sure it'll be, you know... It hasn't been announced, like you said, but I have a feeling it's going to be one of Fox's marquee games. So what do you say? I say five-star for, yep. as you said, I think it's competitive. I think I, everything you said I agree with. You know, um, To me, this normally would be the best game of the weekend, that caliber, I think it is. Um, we'll see. I, I, think it was, I think last year was a fluke for Penn State for a lot of those things, and I just don't think you can – you can underscore the journey Brown element enough of how it kind of gutted the locker room just because of the way it played out. Um, I don't want to make it seem like we think Penn state's going to go back to being top 10 new year six team overnight. I mean, they definitely have a lot of questions and, and starting first and foremost with is Sean Clifford really the guy that can lead them to glory? Cause I haven't seen it yet. And, and James Franklin switch, you know, got a, Threw, threw away his his OC after one season and and trying somebody else and I, mean, I think he's got a lot of pieces around him. Are you skeptical I, of Mike Yersich as as an OC? No, I think he's a really good OC. Um, but I also thought that Kirk Soraka was going to be a really good OC after what he did in Minnesota. So, I did too. I did too. Yeah, I, that one was a that one surprised me that that didn't work out better. Granted, like you said, a lot of a lot of things went wrong. But I mean, James Franklin made it seem like. He didn't just fire uh, Soraka. Like I'm not sure he would have fired him if not for the fact that he had a chance to get Yersich, who he's just been really high on for a while. Yeah. Um, okay. Now we are going to take one of those games that felt like the Week One game last year, and this is Louisiana at Texas. Four stars. Um, which, if you're just going by kind of the like, I'm sure when that game was scheduled, nobody would have looked twice at it. Um, but now you've got, it's Steve Sarkeesian's first game, first l- glimpse at that new offense, and Louisiana's going to be really good. Uh, I had him 17th in my spring rankings. I think, you know, Coastal Carolina got all the love last year, and understandably so. But I think sometimes the difference between the teams is not as great as maybe it was perceived. They played a game that went right down to the last second. I think I can't remember exactly. It may have been coming down to a, a field goal. Um, then they didn't get to play in the championship game. It got canceled. Who knows what would have happened? And then, like you know, they did beat Iowa State, who ended up in a New Year's Six Bowl, pretty handily. Yeah. So, and everybody's back except their running backs. Um, they have like twenty starters back. Levi Lewis has been their quarterback forever. So um, I wonder what the point spread will be on that. I don't think Louisiana will be favored, but will they get? some respect or will they be like a 12 point underdog you really ranked this one a four star huh 
You're not going four star? I'm going five star, Stu. Oh, my goodness. A five, is this the first ever five star game involving a Sunbelt team? Yeah, Sark's first game is interesting to me for a, a ton of reasons. But, yeah, this was a team that, that handily whipped a good Iowa State team in the opener on the road last year. The only thing they don't have back is good is their running back from last year, but they have a dynamic return guy who's now going to be the running back who they like. Everybody's back on defense, as you said. The quarterback's back. I'm with you. I think they are a top 20 team so for me this is a five-star intriguing matchup because and i think you 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 went into this but didn't go all the way in on it if you're texas and you're sark and i don't want to say there's no such thing as a must-win game for week one if it's the first game out but it would to lose at home to a sunbelt team like you and i know and most people you know in you know pay attention diehard football people know what Billy Napier has built in Lafayette there. I'm not sure how much credibility or how much buy-in on that the people who are, you know, not just decision makers, but like influential people at Texas are going to have. You lose that game, they're not seeing it as, ooh, they lost to a top 20 team. They're looking at, ooh, you lost to, to the Raging Cajuns from ULL or from wherever they are. I just think that that's going to add to it a lot. Didn't Tom Herman lose his first game to Maryland? He did, you know, but it was a little different. Maryland's a is a team people know where that program is. You know, I don't think most people. It's different than losing to a Sun Belt team. I think that that loss at that time to that Maryland team was more embarrassing than it would be to lose to Louisiana. But I you get think what you're it saying. because you know yeah. what ULL is right now. I don't think most Texas people, shouldn't be losing to. I, and and by the way, they play Arkansas the next week. So they lose this one. Then I think like, they have oh, a they they'll have a tougher. Two. I think they have a tougher matchup with Louisiana than Arkansas. Not a knock on. Now Sam I Pittman. can picture somebody listening to this podcast right now who heard you call it a five star game and say, um, "Get o- guys, when are you going to get over Texas? Like, why do you keep at- treating Texas like I care? Like I should, you know, I'm I'm a fan in in Ohio or California. Like, why should I keep keep getting invested in Texas? It's the same thing every year." Uh, I guess that's a, I don't know if that's a fair criticism or not. I think part of why it is, is because it's one of the, there haven't been that many programs since 2000 that have won national titles. This is one of them. So I would start, say, start there. They are not, and I don't want to disparage a program that I'm going to like pull out of my armpit right now, but there's a bunch of programs in power five schools that are, you know, like are are solid programs. They've not won a national title or come close to it. Texas has. Texas is a is one of those few brand schools that stands out. That's that. And I think it's different than than, you know, the fact that it's Sark's first game. I think it really adds to it and because it is like the reason why I put it 5 is is short of Texas playing Oklahoma and Iowa State, I don't think there's a Big 12 school. I'm not saying that the TCU or K-State or Oklahoma State couldn't beat ULL. I'm saying in terms of like the optics of what if you lose to to Louisiana, how would your fan base treat it is different than let's say if they lost to TCU in the first game. I just hope nobody come if they do win, I hope nobody comes out after and says Texas is back. Like, I feel like our friend Joe Tess cursed that program for five years when he proclaimed that after the big 
Remember they opened on a Sunday oh, night. Notre, Notre Dame, Dame game. It was, a fun, it was a fun game. Yeah, it was a really fun game. Shane Bouchelle was their quarterback, believe it or not, and they won. And the fans were going nuts. And Texas is back. And I think they went five and seven that year. Um, okay, we're not done. About, I got more for you. Oh, you okay? Uh, I I thought maybe I'd tee you up. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Stanford versus Kansas State in Arlington, Texas. That is a two-star for me. Mm-hmm. Um, curious to see what the K-State quarterback situation was like. I, you know, Deuce is a fun player, and maybe just with him against the, him against somebody else should be alone a three-star game. But relative to the rest of the board, that one just doesn't get me that excited. I am curious to see. You know, Stanford has has a talented quarterback who hasn't played in you know since he went on a mission, and I remember seeing him at. Elite 11, I don't know, four years ago where he was big and strong arm and is interesting, but I don't know. I don't, relative to the rest of the board, I would put that as a two-star. I don't understand how this ended up, like usually that game, and I don't even know what it's called now, it used to be called the Cowboys Classic. They usually get bigger names than this. I don't know how this ended up being the game and also like how they're not going to take a bath on that because Stanford's definitely not going to sell tickets. Um, Yeah, I'd say two-star as well. I do think Stanford has. Uh, I mean, they 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 closed the season very the little season very well last year. Um, they ran all over Washington, which was surprising. Um, but there's not. They don't have any. There's no Andrew Lux. There's no. There's really no like quote unquote star players on Stanford right now, or Kansas State for that matter. So, I wonder when that game will be on. I don't know. Like, I'll- yeah, that's like a three thirty ESPN two game. I think I'll be honest. I th- I was a little surprised you threw that one in there just because there's a bunch of others that like. Well, you put Northwestern Michigan State in there. I'm not sure there's much difference. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm gonna get crap for that for my Northwestern friends. You know, they did win the Big Ten West last year, but yeah. Um, I'm gonna give you one you that is a is not a Power Five matchup. Two programs that have had a ton of success recently. And they both have new coaches. Boise State at UCF. So the word on the street is that this game might move to Thursday night. But it is as of now scheduled for Saturday. And I remember when it was announced a couple years ago, UCF was coming off, I think, the first of those New Year's Six Bowls. And everybody was like, wow, the two two shining stars of a group of five are going to play a home-and-home. This is awesome. Buzz, the luster has worn off a little bit. Um... We didn't really see Boise State last year, and UCF obviously hasn't gotten back to that pinnacle. But I think the fact that it's Gus Malzahn—both schools are breaking in new coaches. That it's Gus Malzahn's first game at UCF, Andy Avalos' first game at Boise. Um, can I go three and a half stars? Like I think three would be underselling it, and I think four would be overselling it. Yeah, I think because it is first-time head coaches, I'm gonna—I would bump it to four stars. I think what you. I, think where you were going was kind of where I was thinking is like when it initially was announced and there is some a, a touch of luster off of last year but I still think Boise is going to be really good I think UCF still should be pretty good I don't know you know like I would put it as four because I am I am very curious to see first time out you know where it goes with these teams I think this is going to be the last one Saturday unless you've got something else stored up there a game in your backyard Maybe you'll be there. I don't know. San Jose State coming off a uh, historic season going at USC. I will put that as a three-star game. 
as you said, Brent Brennan's program had a breakout year. Did you know terrific? You have a quarterback um, who has played a ton of football, and I think USC is a top twenty team. I don't think they're a top ten team. So I don't know. It's hard for me to go more than three on that, though. I'd agree. I don't want to take anything away from San Jose State. They had a great season last year, but they also, you know, it was a, a Mountain West only schedule until they played MAC team, Ball State. Like, I don't, I'm not all that confident they stack up with a USC. It would sure be something if they did, though, beat them, though. The, they might, Clay Helton might not be allowed to bag in his office on Monday. Uh, I have one other, school, another game that's actually in Los Angeles that is then. And that is LSU at UCLA. Oh, yeah. How's that not on my list? That's one of the better ones. I'm giving that a four-star. By the way, I feel like UCLA ends up in this. They always manage to schedule somebody good in the first game. And, you know, that hasn't always worked out for them. They got their their butts kicked by Oklahoma. The last time it seems like it's worked out for them was when Rosen led them to, like, the 40-point comeback against A&M on that Sunday. This is a game LSU should win. Um, they are much more talented, uh, but they also were a 500 team last year. So you know, you're, you're, it's a little bit of blind faith to, to just assume they'll be really good again. But I will give it uh, four stars. I think uh, another game they'll probably get a really good TV window. Um, look, it's year four for Chip. He needs to start showing something. They they were definitely better last year. And they still finish with a losing record. Yeah, I th- uh, yeah, yeah. I would say four as well. I think that the the most intriguing t- thing to me is how much better could D- DTR be? He if he can watch, you know, take be- better care of the football. I think they have a chance to win the Pac-12 South. Um, he's got all the talent in the world in terms of as a college quarterback. He can really throw it. He's smart and he can run. It's just sometimes you know he hasn't played. He didn't play a lot of quarterback before he got to college and you're seeing a lot of two steps forward one step back I think Zach Charbonnet who Michigan fans will remember was really good as a freshman he transferred there I think he is going to be a big factor for them Um, and as you said LSU has a you know flip the coaching staff they have almost everybody back especially from the team that ended up beating Florida in the swamp at the end of the year so I think they'll be much improved you know, I'm very curious to see what it's going to look like. So that one's a big four star for me. Where is um, UCLA in your Pac-12 South power rankings for this year? Um, they're in a cluster with with three other teams, which is I would probably lean towards having USC as my as my number one, and then it's like UCLA, ASU, Utah. It would not surprise me if any one of those four teams won it, and it wouldn't surprise me if any one of those four teams ended up fourth. Um, you know, yeah, my- we're a lot different on that. I've got my, to me the the, the toss up is more about whether I should have Utah or Arizona State as my favorite, but I'm going Utah. So Utah one, ASU two, USC three, UCLA four. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if UCLA is four, that means. DTR has not taken any step forward, you know, because they did get a lot better on defense last year, and they needed to, and they did get a lot better. Um, I think they've added some really good transfers last year that helped, and I think this year, just from what I know about Charbonnet, I think will be a big difference for them. I think they finally got finally have some depth up front on the offensive line. They're better than where they were. Um, 
you know, I just don't know. You know, again, like a couple of the games they lost against Oregon, against Stanford, where Dorian Thompson Robinson wasn't in the game. And I think that, you know, that was a difference for them. So again, it's just, you could say this about a lot of teams with them, especially it's like, I think if he's as good as I think he can be, I think they can, I think they might win the PAC 12 South, but if he's doesn't take a big step forward, because I expected him to take that step. It's a little bit like, and they're not the same player, but it's a little like Adrian Martinez in Nebraska. You know, where it's like there's a lot of ability, there's a lot of stuff there. You think it's a really good fit for the system, and it's just hasn't happened as fast as I thought it would. If UCLA wins the South, and and assuming it's not like a, you know, eight and four, medio, you know, like an ACC coastal kind of thing, if they actually have a good record, that is, is going to be a slap in the face to Ari Wasserman and the Stars Matter guys because. Well, Iowa State is a Iowa, kind of players. Iowa State is a punch in Ari's nose. By the way, I mean the Stars <laughs> Matter works when it comes to just national title teams. It doesn't like like if Kyle Whittingham saw Ari Wasserman and spit in his eye. You know, it's like it's ouch. <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying. Like the Stars Matter, they do, but it's like it it it, it matters especially when you're talking about national title teams. It gets a lot murkier when you're talking about the Iowa States. And the Wisconsin's, and certainly when you're talking about Utah, look where Utah's ranked. I mean, Utah, Wisconsin, those are programs that develop players. I mean, they just do. Well, I think they're also programs that probably get the players they take, they evaluate better than probably the places that do the recruiting sites. Their hubs are in places where a lot of times they don't get players from. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. I think you can, I mean, look, you can you can have a really good team and a really good season without all the four and five stars. What we haven't seen is a team break through and win the national championship that way. But that is the Iowa winning, test. Winning I'm the Pac twelve South, test. yeah, winning the Pac twelve South or winning the Big Twelve in Iowa State's case, if they can pull that off, um, would would go a long way. Should we? I got I got one Sunday more game night, for Monday you. Night? I got one more game for you. Really, this is a deeper Saturday than I even realized. It is a deeper Saturday, and I wanted your specific opinion. So the Jackrabbits are coming off almost winning a national title in FCS last weekend. And they have a very intriguing (laughs) opener against Colorado State and your favorite head coach, Steve Adazio. Can they pull it off? Hmm. I have no idea. I haven't given any thought to that game. What's your pick? Um... I wanted to see if you'd go all the way in because there's somebody, some FCS program, even though they're coming off, you know, like the disjointed off season of, you know, just having played a full season, especially when you're in the playoff. I'm, I'm interested to see how much bounce back that is. They have, you know, I don't know if their quarterback is going to be ready because he got hurt. And then they have, um, you know, a really talented running back who had a huge game in the national title game, but we're watching so i mean that's good um all right let's jump to sunday night notre dame against florida state that one is a four star for me um i think florida state will be better than last year's train wreck or frankly the last couple years train wreck i think you know every everything worked against mike norvell last year he gets the full off season he um, has brought in some really good transfers and Notre Dame will still be very good, no question. Um, will they be able to 
it just worries me a little bit that if if Jack Cohn is the best they can do at quarterback, he's not bad, but he's not. You know, that, I think that's what's been holding Notre Dame back. They've they've they're putting guys in the NFL. They're um, you know they've gone they're going to playoffs. They're a very good program. They just haven't had that elite quarterback, and apparently they're not going to have it this year either. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat the way you did and go four and a half stars on this. Wow, that's uh, a that's big for a. What was Florida State last year like two and six? Yeah, and six? the the challenge for me on Florida State and why I'm very curious about them is they took a ton of transfers in the top fifty impact guys transfers. Max and I had had a bunch of Florida State guys, and I don't know if any of them are all America caliber players, but I think they're big upgrades, and so. Um, this has the risk, you know, you talked about the Joe Tess, Notre Dame, Texas game. I feel like this has the risk of Florida State surprising Notre Dame and people doing the Florida State is back thing off of this, too. Well, remember on a Monday night game, or maybe Sunday night, no, Monday night game a few years ago, I think it was Willie Tiger's first game at Florida State, Virginia Tech clobbered them, and that led people to really overestimate Virginia Tech because they didn't realize how bad Florida State was yet. Well, if Notre Dame if Notre Dame whips this Florida State team, I don't think it's going to force anybody to, you know, look at Notre Dame and say, "Oh yeah, they lost this guy and that guy and Ian Book," and all of a sudden now I think they're a national title contender. But um, it could go the other way. Florida State, like you said, Florida State knocks off Notre Dame two playoffs in three years, and everybody, I don't know if they're going to proclaim them back, but they're going to be like, "Wow, Florida State's a lot better." That's what I was maybe saying. Notre Dame goes seven and five. Yeah, yeah, and you and I both think Mike Norvell's a really good coach, so. I, I think, do. yeah. So, um, and then the Monday night game, um, Louisville against your wingman, Lane Kiffin. What do you see? I see that as a three star game. Um, even though I am very uh, bullish on Ole Miss for this season, I'm actually working on their state of the program. You right have now. Ole Miss as a top 15 team? I have them as a, I think, a number 25, okay. right? Um, I don't know what to make of Louisville. They took a big step back last year. I I really think Scott Satterfield's a really good coach. I don't know what everything seemed to go wrong last year. So if they bounce back, then this should be a good game. But it's hard for me to go above three stars. I'm going to go four star. Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. You know, I watched. I think Louisville. I don't want to say they were doing it with mirrors in his first year, but I think it was just such a shift. And then I think. Some of the program building stuff and just the, I just don't think they had enough players. Now, this has the potential to be a really, really high-scoring game because Ole Miss was really bad on defense last year, and I still think Ole Miss is going to be very good on offense. They have a they have a dynamic quarterback and a really good running back and some some weapons for him. And I don't know, Louisville obviously lost two two Atwell, who was a game breaker, but. <laughs> I, my guess is Old Miss will will look impressive, and I think this will be a wild game. Um, it's interesting because Louisville's defensive coordinator Brian Brown, who's a good DC, he actually played at Old Miss, so this is a homecoming for him. But um, this could be a tough one because Old Miss has a lot of firepower. I will agree with you. I will go. I'm going to go again. Three and a half stars. Ole Miss uh, was terrible, absolutely terrible on defense for most of the last. The season. worst team in the very- country on defense, right? For most of it, oh yeah, they finished 126th in the country. Uh, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, they did quietly get a little bit better at the end, and certainly in the bowl game when, uh, kind of under the radar, Otis Reese, transfer safety from Georgia, uh, safety linebacker, kind of hybrid guy, 
like I don't remember the circumstances of this, but he got eligible. He finally got eligible uh, from his transfer on the for the Egg Bowl towards the end of the season, and was immediately like the best player on the field on defense for them. Uh, they've got a couple other transfers who become eligible this year. Um, they took some JUCO guys for their defensive line, so I don't think they're going to turn into uh you know some juggernaut on defense but they should be more respectable and they're going to score a ton of points on offense okay that's well that was uh i mean people listening i hope all that made you realize just how loaded that first weekend is it's not always that way it's Um, never that way well there was no you're having a short memory there was a there was this i think 2016 that everybody was saying like this is the greatest lineup in the history of college football okay you're right that's but that's five but years ago lsu wisconsin alabama usc i don't remember the others um but i think again like what makes this special to me is that we didn't get this last year and then the next week we get oregon ohio state washington michigan and iowa Iowa state so um it's gonna be fun looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Bruce, what do you say we open the mailbag? Okay, let's do it. As always, send your questions, please, to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, I'm going to give you the first one. Okay, Stu, this question is from Kirk Crawford. Never miss your pod. Thank you, Kirk. Uh, In three seasons, Chip Kelly has been head coach at UCLA. He has led them to a dismal 10 and 21 record during those three seasons clay helton has led arch rival usc to an 18 and 13 record and a two and one head-to-head record against kelly coach ucla from what i sense it seems kelly's seat is barely warm while helton's seat is glowing hot they both make 4.5 million plus understanding that expectations are higher at the u football blue blood which school is getting the most bang for their seemingly overspent dollar? What do your crystal balls show for the future of those two coaches? I think that you have to, I mean, first of all, you have to acknowledge that, that Clay Helton didn't start three years ago. He's, he's been the coach since 2015. And um, so, so it's not like he's past that window where you, you give the coach patience and, you know, Chip Kelly took over a rebuilding job. Let's see what he does. Uh, that being said, I think, I mean, as much as USC fans are down on Clay Helton and feel like, you know, have spent like three years wanting his head, I mean, they're they're getting more bang for their buck, relatively speaking, than than UCLA is getting because they were in the Pac-12 championship game last year. Uh, you know, they've they've had success. They went to a, a Rose Bowl and and won a Rose Bowl with Clay Helton. Chip probably hasn't done anything yet. 
Um, maybe he will. Maybe this will be his breakthrough. But to this point, they have seen almost no return on that four point five million a year. They haven't even really. Um, I mean, I think the shame of it is that that was such a big deal when they hired him. Uh, you know that, that he chose UCLA over going to an SEC school, and they're just there was no. You know, they never built any momentum off it. I mean, if, I feel like the Rose Bowl. You know, you always see like a lot of empty seats at a UCLA home game because they're playing in the Rose Bowl. But I mean, we're talking like record low attendance in in his first season, much less his you know, second or third season. So um, that's my answer. What's your answer? Uh, I think they have to get better. I mean, it's basically been the first year, the time he did beat uh, USC was the game my crew did. And it was like, okay, this is the Chip Kelly uh, stuff we were expecting to see. They ran for like 400 yards in the game and and Joshua Kelly ran, like they couldn't stop. Like whatever they were going to run, it was like Clancy Pendergrass was picking the wrong thing. It was like they had no no, uh, no answers for what the counterpunch was. And then, you know, they've just been really struggling to get traction beyond that. Now part of it I think is because their offensive line situation was really weak and also the defense was really bad now last year was kind of a obviously a disjointed year because of the pandemic they got better on defense they didn't you know they took I think they did get better last year but it was like again you know as we said earlier in the podcast you're dealing with you know basically a backup quarterback for some of the games so I think it's this will be a big litmus test for them I think if they don't get noticeably better this year I think there will be, you have a, the AD did not hire him, Martin Jarman. That's the AD there now. And I think that it's not to say he's on a really hot seat, but I think the pressure is going to escalate. As for Clay Helton, so if you take out the first year that he was the interim head coach at USC, he's had five seasons. He went 10 and 3, 11 and 3. Then they were awful in 2018, go 5 and 7. Then 8 and 5, and then 5 and 1. It's, you know, like, I'm trying to be careful how I say this because I think this could be spun in the wrong direction. But knowing what USC was at the time where you had the disaster that was Sark's brief tenure, you had some of the stuff with Lane, you had the rocky, you know, hey, we're all in on Coach O and then Hayden pulls the plug on him. Like what I had said was they really needed desperately an adult in the room. And they and really Clay Hilton was that guy. The problem I think for him is you know, because he was on such a hot seat in 2018 where a lot of the people who matter at USC didn't really believe he should be the guy, that the first two years were more in Sam Darnold's um, box than they were in Clay Helton's. And as soon as Darnold left and it went to crap, they felt like he was on the hot seat and they needed to fire him. And he couldn't recruit to that. You know, like he just, it was a disaster recruiting year. And so now... You have that class. It's not to say that class is a complete washout, but that class is one that he really needs to be the nucleus of this team, right? And so I just think it's it's an interesting tenure because if you would say to me, like, let's, like, I don't think Clay Helton has been a disastrous hire given the circumstances of when he took over and some of what he's done, but. You know, like, again, you and I are sitting here. I'm like, USC is so positioned where I think they're probably like the 17th best team in the country. I think you're, I don't know where you had them, around 25th, right? 
Like at one point you had him in, and I then left you didn't. him out of the top twenty-five. But you had him in, right? At one point, harsher side of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like it wouldn't surprise me. Like if they go nine and three, and you're Mike Bone, do you fire him? Funny that ties into a question that we have coming up. Um, it does yeah. I kind of think you have to because you just can't keep going in this state of perpetuity. Um, now. You know, they could get to nine and three any number of ways, and if there's some really big wins in there, it might feel different. But just this isn't what USC fans want, and especially in a market like LA, where it's you know they got to work really hard to get people in the stadium, and they're not going to just show up for you know like Nebraska fans keep showing up every week, to, no matter how disappointing they've been. That's not how it works um, in LA. So um, one quick clarification. You know, we, long after you started answering the question, I was like, I, I paused for a second. And I was like, wait a minute, does Jeff Kelly really make four point five million? That sounds high. And I looked it up, and sure enough, he only made three point three. The way his contract was structured, it's because of the 3. NFL 3. money. Yeah, yeah, three point three the first season, three point five the second, and then it jumped to four point three last year, and it'll actually be four point six this year. So. It's a balloon money. I mean, they weren't going to, you know, the money he was getting. Remember, when they hired him, he was whatever he was, 46 and 6. You know, that's what right. you were paying for. So, and I, honestly, I think the the decision of him taking USC over Florida wasn't UCLA. just about the football. What, what did I say? I said USC. USC. Yeah, the decision of him, thank you. The decision of him taking UCLA over Florida wasn't just related to their football program. I think it was about the quality of life and also not really living in the SEC fishbowl that he would have lived in, whether he was the head coach at Tennessee or Florida. I think if you were the coach at Tennessee or Florida, you would have been fired by now. I mean, just, I think if you're the head coach at Tennessee or Florida, though, you're dealing with a different, you know, you're dealing with different situations than when you take over UCLA, you're taking over maybe kids who are, it's a different, it's just a different dynamic. No, I agree. But I'm saying if you went 10 and 21 in your first three no, seasons. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Programs, you'd be absolutely. All right, Bruce, I'm going to tee you up because he starts out talking about one of your stories. Barry in Portland, Bruce and Stu. Thank you for the recent discussion on Chris Peters, on the Chris Peterson interview and including personal stories about yourselves. I come to The Athletic and listen to The Audible for insight into football, yet frequently get anecdotes about your personal lives. You continue to be humble and expose a humanity that I make that I feel makes you relatable. I think we could all benefit from reflection about priorities in our lives. Thank you, Barry. That's uh, yeah. Thank you, Barry. That was sweet to hear. I didn't realize we were having that kind of effect. Here's his question: Do you think the transfer portal is college football's version of one and done? I'm excited about Charlie Brewer as a Utah fan, but wonder about relying on the portal too much. Is this different than previous reliance on JUCO transfers for some programs? I don't know. I don't know if it's that different. Like I go back to something Lovey Smith said uh, when they got into the bowl at Illinois, and he was his why he was so sold on the tr- on taking grad transfers. It's a little different than the transfer portal because now we're talking about kids who've actually graduated or players who've actually graduated. But he was like, usually that tells you something about you know their work ethic. It doesn't you know you just you're probably taking somebody who's a more mature player and. I think that maybe they're more proven and there's more accountability involved because some of the things you have to do to graduate college and college football, as opposed to you're still figuring out if you left after one year. Um, I think it's really hard to have sustained success if you're going 
like one of the things that I think made Bill Snyder such a amazing coach in the turnaround job he did at K-State was he hit on a ridiculously high percentage of his JC transfers. Like a lot of times if you hit on 50%, because some of the times, not all, but some of the times guys who end up in junior college are there because either they were a mess academically or maybe they had some, some significant character issues that they were trying to work through or needed to mature. And so now you're bringing them into a different kind of program and we'll see how that works. Now, that wasn't to say all of them were that way, but there's definitely some of them. So I think those are some of the issues that make it hard to kind of to kind of work. Like use, use LSU's example. They've had a lot of success with taking transfers. You remember like the best one they had. Obviously, you know, Joe Burrow is one or what or whatnot. But even like a Cole Tracy turned out to be like an all-American caliber kicker. Um and he was from a Division three school. But now you're plugging in guys. You're like, okay, this guy either had a lot of success somewhere or we believe in what he can do. And I think it becomes a more attractive um, plug-in for coaches who are saying, you know what, I just have to like give my roster a little bit of tweaking because maybe these other players that we recruited three years ago have not developed the way we needed to or maybe guys transferred or there were some injuries. And to me, I think you're going to see more and more of this just because coaches know they have to win now, right? Like, look, we were talking about UCLA a minute ago. Chip Kelly's taking more transfers now because I think he knows I'm going to roll the dice on these guys who I know more about them. I've seen more. They're probably further along mentally than if I'm going to take a transfer and wait three years for them to develop when... You know, again, like a lot of coaches, I'm not sure that you can wait three years on some of these guys. I think that it's, I can't say that that's one and done because in basketball, one and dones are, you know, you're hoping that that guy is Zion Williamson, right? Like you're, you're expecting those guys to be superstars. And of course, a superstar in college basketball is, has a lot bigger impact than a superstar uh, in football. And then I can't really say it's like Juco transfers because Juco transfers while some of them end up being great, I mean, for the most part, you're just kind of, you know, you just don't know. These How many guys, guys also, Stu, are like, you know, we were talking the, um, a couple minutes ago about San Jose State and Nick Starkle. I mean, you know, he had a really good impact, but it's like most of these guys don't turn out to be one and dones. You know, like I, I'm just trying to think. Jalen Hurts was a one and done, right, okay. at Oklahoma. Um, but those are the very small exception. I mean, mostly you're talking, like you did that top 50 list with Max. A few of those guys, like Tyreek Stevenson, could end up being a stud cornerback for Miami. But most of those guys are going to, you know, if Keontae Ingram has a good season for USC, it's not going to be the football equivalent of, you name the, you know, stud freshman college basketball player. Uh, I just think it's, it's free agency. It's using the waiver wire, if you will, or the free agency wire to plug some holes and the smart programs will do that. Charlie Brewer could be a huge difference maker uh, for Utah, but that's not, I mean, it's not a quarterback to me is different because we they've been doing that for a long time. Like they've been, you know, you, Russell Wilson comes to mind, like one and done getting the grad transfer quarterback who's there for one year um, is not necessarily a new thing, but the difference with the transfer portal and certainly the, um, the immediate eligibility means that this is going to happen across posi- all positions and 
you're going to have teams that rely. I mean, I like the Bill Snyder analogy that rely on transfers the way he relied on JUCO guys. Look, I mean, uh, um, Charlie Weiss, he he did, went heavy on JCs at KU. He went way too heavy on. Yeah, JCs. and it didn't and it didn't work. And it's not to single. I was that was the first name that came to mind. But there are guys who are there are coaches who've really tried to do that, and it hasn't worked out great. You know, and it's just and also if it doesn't work out great, then all of a sudden you're probably leaving behind a you know a, a big uphill climb or a bigger uphill climb for your predecessor because. Now you got to deal with the roster management issues. Let's do this question from Derek Johnson. Stu and Bruce, in the last year, Nebraska's 2003 firing of Frank Solich came up from several national media figures discussing the recent shortfalls of the program. Does the national media still care about Solich getting fired with a winning record? That was 18 years ago, and many programs have since fired coaches with winning records. I think that that was kind of you know, unusual. It wasn't that he fired him with a winning record. He fired him with a nine and three record. And I remember, yeah, a lot of like, I can't believe they fired a guy with a seven fifty winning percentage. That is not all that unusual now. Mark Rick got fired coming off a nine and three season. Um, you know, the really marquee programs might do that. I think the reason it keeps coming up though is that everybody, you know, Georgia got better after they fired Mark Rick. Nebraska's de- you know two decade downfall began when i mean i don't know maybe some nebraska fans would refute that but they've just never been the same since like they would be thrilled to go nine and three now and that's why i think it keeps getting referenced as like the beginning of the downfall for nebraska football um the only thing I'd, i would add in this and i know there's extenuating circumstances but like one of the guys who coached after solich or after bill callahan bo polini the record nine and four ten and four ten and four nine and four ten and four nine and four nine and three you know, so his record was right there, but obviously there were some extenuating circumstances with Polini. Where do you rank Bill Callahan at Nebraska as one of the, you know, among the like the worst coaching hires? It was just so. Well, Steve Peterson was the AD then. <laughs> I'm not. I don't. You know, maybe Nebraska still wouldn't be Nebraska now, but it was just so crazy when you think back to it that they. It was such an overcorrection, overreaction to well. Maybe the triple option is not the way to go anymore. Let's hire a guy from the NFL who's going to turn it into a West Coast offense and who's going to basically just, you know, every possible, pretty much every tradition Nebraska holds held sacred. He was like, nope, not doing that anymore, not doing that anymore. It was such a debacle. And, you know, Polini was actually an improvement, but, you know, he was a very polarizing coach. And then, I don't know. I guess as disastrous as the Bill Callahan hiring was, you might say Mike Riley was even worse. That was a tr- that was a really bizarre one at the time. So right. Well, if you look uh, at it this way, you know, again, I don't know if this is Mitch Mitch Sherman would be a better person to speak on this than Max than me on this. But the thing you outlined about Bill Callahan and just being, hey, we're going to shake this up a lot. You know, when Bob Stoops got to OU and they had been spinning their wheels, he brought in Leach. Leach couldn't be more opposite than what what Barry Switzer was in terms of going to throw the ball all over the place. Now, now the principles or the philosophy behind what Leach does with the air raid did have some overlap with what they were going to do with the wishbone, but still, and again, Bob Stoops honored the, the traditions at OU, but I'm just saying just from a stylistically standpoint, like Bill Callahan's known as one of the best offensive line coaches of his generation and probably even longer, more than that. 
So the idea you're taking a, a O-line coach and bringing him to a place that is branded as physical football in its DNA as much as any program in college football, like that part, I could see, you know, in terms of on paper of that. Um, but then as you kind of unpack it, you're looking at it going, you know, like we rattled off Bo Pelini's record. And then, again, we, we both like Mike Riley, but Mike Riley couldn't have been perception-wise, more opposite from Bo Pelini. You know, it's like, I mean, just, you know, you went from the hot-headed coach to the one who is, you know, basically rough and McNeil-esque in terms of just personable and pleasant, right? So, and neither worked for, you know, neither, neither got the results that they were aspiring to get. Last one, Bruce, comes from Across the Pond from Kevin Sayer co-host of a UK podcast based on college football and up and coming draft prospects. He says, please give the group of five some love. Who are the teams and rosters next season to watch outside of Cincinnati and coastal Carolina? It's good to know about all of college football and not just the big boys. Should we just pick one each real quick and show them some love? Yes. I think we should show them some love. You go we already first. showed Louisiana plenty of love. So we're taking them off the list. Okay. You first. Ball State came out of nowhere last year, seemingly nowhere, to win the MAC and score a gazillion points doing it. And like a lot of these group of five teams, they bring their whole team back. It, it, it's interesting, the super senior thing is really benefiting the group of five because for the most part, their seniors aren't going to the NFL. So it, there's no reason for them not to come back and play another season of college football. Uh, you're seeing that at Coastal, ULL, um, and, and certainly Ball State. So um, nobody, we barely saw them. I don't think anybody was paying attention last year. Buffalo was getting all the love in the MAC last year, and then they beat Buffalo. It was obviously a very short season. So keep an eye out on David Letterman's alma mater this coming college football season. Look at that. And uh, Tyler Stockton, former Notre Dame player, definitely one of the rising star coaches, a young defensive coordinator who is really made a name for himself. Uh, I am going to take a school in the Mountain West that I think is really interesting, especially with, um, I'm sorry, what's our guy's first name on the question? Who asked this? Kevin? Uh, Kevin. Yeah, especially as Kevin's talking about draft guys. I'm very curious to see what you get from Utah State this year, right? So this is Blake Anderson's first season. Um, they have three really interesting players on defense. Two of them are transfers. One of them, VJ, one of the transfers is Byron Vaughns, who was at Texas. And the guys I talked to there just gushed about how dynamic of an edge rusher he is. And he could be a breakout star and he could lead the Mountain West in sacks this year. Um, they had another transfer, Justin Rice, who was a big-time player in the Mountain West a couple years ago at Fresno. Then, obviously, they had some challenges, and he ended up transferring to Arkansas State, where he played for Blake Anderson, and now he's going to reunite with Blake Anderson and Logan. He is very, very productive. Those two guys should make a big difference, and there's a player that they had in the program uh, before, Vijay Bongpachan, long last name, who they think is a future NFL player. And so I think all three of those guys will be ones who will be on NFL radar. I mean, they are they are really good players. Vaughn's is the one, I think, who could be 
who could be a uh, dominant edge rusher in the Mountain West in the next two years. That is the intel that the folks in the UK need. And by the way, I don't know if this is the same UK podcast I went on last year in the preseason, but the one I went on, maybe it was this one, those guys were talking FCS teams in, in, in great detail. So credit to the folks over in the UK who are following college football as closely, if not more so, than we are over here. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.